0: and gentlemen and welcome to the effort is a choice podcast my name is Darren Johnson I discovered I hate the sound of my own voice I don't know if I said that already so on today's episode I'm going to talk about it's I guess somehow I'm gonna gonna wing this into tactical awareness and story that happened to a buddy of mine that really did just change the out the way that I attempted to carry myself or I guess the, the way I thought about even just going out and about I think this has been a little over 10 years now since this happened you know I come from a small town uh, I grew up a little bit further away I guess you could say like I was born in central Florida kind of raised in the Tampa area then moved back to central Florida all along the way when you're going in middle school high school I think it's safe to say I might have gotten to a one or two more fights than your average kid, just because of the amount of rowdiness that my opinionated bunch of people always seem to be caught in the middle of. And uh, good or bad, whatever that is, you know, somehow that I moved back into central Florida, had a job, well into my early twenties. You know, the the thing to do was go out into the woods on the weekend. Drink beer, ride around circles, you know, get in the trouble. It's the same things that our parents did, that their parents' parents did, that their parents' parents' parents did. I'm pretty sure the Indians was, was smoking and drinking out there before the the white man even came. So it's a, it's a, it's a party area. It's the management area. People hunt out there in hunting season. And it's the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life, you idiots. Fifteen of you on one road running a pack of nine dogs to get a deer that weighs 70 pounds because you're all too fucking sissy to go out into the real woods and build a rope dridge, and and set up tracks for months at the time while planning your, your hunt for the fall like the actual killers do. Jimmy, who is not a hunter, he's a killer. Anyway, so a good friend of mine one night, yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to tell the story here, but I will say that, that what happened to him ultimately changed the way that I walked outside. It just changed my this my viewpoint on what it was I was doing, where I was going, why was I gonna be there and what potentially could have happened to me. And nothing even happened to me. Isn't that isn't that funny how like some of the strongest lessons that you can ever be taught in your life that God will put in front of you might be put in front of you because he's trying to save you or avoid something that you could have had to go through that could have been terrible and all you have to do to avoid that is pay attention and listen and then have the courage to avoid that 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 voice you heard into action anyway so i believe everything happens for a reason a good friend of mine got stabbed in the back with a six inch bladed knife on a night that i decided not to ride with him for whatever reason i decided not to go to the woods that evening you know He got stabbed in the back while other people were yelling my name, kicking his Jeep, and asking me to get out. Moments, you know, yelling, Darren, get your sissy ass out, the Jeep. Moments before they busted out the back windshield of the passenger side and stabbed him in the back with a pocket knife while he was sitting in the passenger seat of a Jeep Cherokee. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't like there there was any kind of, of t- well, you know, that part of the story is not even in here. So, yeah, I'm going to read what I wrote, and then I'm going to go over, I guess, you know, after I wrote this, I remember phone calling John, saying, hey, man, can you run me through a little more of the details? Because I wasn't there, and uh, just letting him know I'm writing this. I, wanted to, I just wanted to know a little bit more about what happened in the moments that, You know, you hear, there was was probably 20 or 30 people there, so you hear a lot of different stories about what went down. But John stopped by my little dollhouse, as I called it. I lived in a mother-in-law suite that I was renting at the time. That was outside of uh, my landlord's house, you know, about a couple acres there. I was on the other side of it. So he had another friend of ours with him. They were both going to go ride around in the woods. John had just got a new lift kit on his Jeep, and for whatever reason that night, I opted to stay at home. You know, maybe I was tired from work, or maybe it was just one of the moments that I rejected social activity because I didn't always like being around people. I can remember hearing the disappointment in his voice. He shook his head at me, made some kind of comment like, fine, man, you stay here. You're just going to miss out on all the fun we're going to have. All right. See you later, guys. So later that night, my phone began to blow up. It was shortly after 4 a.m. with voicemails and text messages about John being stabbed. I answered a phone call. I believe it was my mother checking in on me to see if I was okay. It would have been a very normal thing for me to be with him that night. With his parents just receiving the news, they were still trying to figure out which hospital that he was being transported to. I was told it was this fat, lazy kid that lived with his parents, who was a cousin of this, this kid that John had knocked out. A couple months before that's a whole nother story so without hesitation in almost a blind side of rage I got dressed immediately ran out of my house started my vehicle at about 4 15 in the morning and began to drive frantically to where this boy's house was that was you know this kid was probably 20 22 years old somewhere around there he wasn't a kid he lived at home Sometime between my house and my desired destination, which was only about six miles, I received news that this kid had already been arrested, and it wasn't him, but it was another unidentified kid who was on parole from alabama Lee, who was supposedly the kid that stabbed John in the back. He was a brother or a cousin or something of the other kid that was arrested. So side note on that talk about some bad decisions I've made and some things that I've squeaked my way out of not being in big trouble for my entire life. Like, what was I going to do? You know, I've had that asked me when I've told that story to, you know, family members or, you know, like, what were you going to do? I was going to beat on the fucking door to his mom and dad's house, wait on one of them to come outside, and then I was going to tell him to get their pussy-ass fuckboy of a son, and I was probably about to go to jail for a long time is what I was about to do. So I stopped in the middle of the dirt road. I turned around, and I headed back to my house to gather myself and find out where John was being sent to. I learned he was sent to Lakeland Regional, and he was in surgery and still hadn't came out yet. His dad was already on the way there. Even in the most desperate of times, I try to practice a little practicality. So I waited until I got a phone call that he made it out of surgery before I decided to make the drive. Because the truth be told, this kind of fucked up, but uh, I would have wasted my gas money and my time to head to a hospital. And if he didn't make it out of surgery, it wasn't going to make a difference at all either way. When I got the news he was stable, I began to head that way. Not sure what time it was. I remember that the sun had already been up for a while. It was well into daylight. Maybe it was afternoon. I, I don't really remember. The whole day was kind of blurry. I parked. I found out where to go. Through a maze of parking garages and hallways, I found a receptionist. Finally, they got me into the ICU room where I saw his dad and his wife. John's dad and stepmom were there waiting to see him in the room, both crying, both very upset. Soon after I arrived, they did get to go back to visit him first while I stayed in the waiting room. John's mom and sister were in the waiting room. He had been my friend for about three years. We had spent an awful lot of amount of time together. Weekends, we had been riding around. I had never in three years heard him talk, mention, or speak one time ever of his mom or sister. So I knew for them to be in that room at that time, this had to be a life or death situation that they were not sure if he was going to pull through. I finally got to walk into the room to see my friend doped out of his mind, all hooked up to machines. He mumbled a few things about the drugs and how they were so good, and he's hoping they're going to send him home with some shit, which was typical rubbish foolishness for John to have come out of his mouth. Pause on that note. One time I went to pick John up from work because I believe he was getting his motor replaced. It was on a Friday. He had got paid. And uh, he was standing in line, but everybody at the company kind of grabs their paycheck from this window. Supervisors and stuff come out. It was, they're all collared shirts. John worked in the field. And uh, John opened up the envelope, held his paycheck, went up in the air, and he said, Woo! I'm going to get so high, I'm not going to come down till noon on Monday. And he looked over at all his supervisors. They kind of laughed, and he got in the Jeep. And uh, yeah, it was a goofball Anyway. So I asked some simple questions in that room about why, what, who, and I didn't really get the response that I was looking for. He told me it wasn't the kid that I thought it was, that it was some kind of cousin of his and had been arrested before the night was over. We weren't really conversating very much. You could tell that he was definitely out of it. So not having much more to say, I knew that he needed some rest and I was the first one to leave the room and leave the rest of his family there to visit. The entire ride home, I remember feeling so angry that it was him and not me. I do stupid things. I'm sarcastic. I ask for trouble. I put myself in the middle of certain situations, but nothing had ever, anything close to this had happened to me. I felt like I deserved it more than him. I felt like it wasn't fair for him to have to suffer through things I would have gladly stepped up for. But I had a guardian angel. And for reasons that I didn't understand, that it wasn't me, it was him. It completely changed the way I looked at confrontation and fighting. All things that come from being in a small hick town or a big city school, it wasn't child's play anymore. It wasn't about fighting. It wasn't about being tough. It wasn't about any of those things. It was about making it back home alive. One more reason to add to my list of not wanting to socialize with the average people that we were put in the presence of. The small town full of drug addicts and losers who make that choice willingly every day is anything other than anything I ever want to become. And what I've seen the people do, it's a shit-filled fucking monkeys in a jungle of despair. So that's what I had wrote. So, from what I remember, John had pulled up there. The same little hangout spot in in the wildlife management area there in the small town. Some other people began to approach him two or three times that he knew was related to this kid that he had knocked out cold. Probably the only fight John's ever been in. And, uh... Yeah, it's a great story, too. I guess now I have to tell that one next. But, uh... They said they approached him a couple times. Finally, they, uh... They said he kind of got jumped, like four or five guys jumped on him. John's a big boy. He's, you know, he's, he's definitely a big boy. Said he, he slung a kid off his back. He slung a kid here. He slung a kid here. Ran back to his Jeep, grabbed the key out of the ignition, got hit in the face while he was reaching his arm through the passenger window, unlocked his glove box, got kicked in the ribs, opened his glove box, grabbed his firearm, got kicked in the shin. Pulled his firearm out and fired a shot in the air. When he fired the shot in the air, they said the, the four guys that were jumping on they all scattered back. Of course, right? They all ran over to his truck. The other truck, whoever the fuck else was there. John proceeded to scream, the next motherfucker who hits me is getting a hole in them. And John's always, I think he was the first person I knew to get his concealed permit. He's very responsible uh, gun toter. He knew the rules. He could have shot every one of them motherfuckers. Anyway. So he puts it back in his glove box. He looks at the kid he was with. He says, hey, man, you know, we got to get out of here. He's like, all right. He's like, you drive because, you know, I think he just got punched in the face and shit. He didn't really want to drive. He said he was a little, I don't know if he was, you know, dizzy or just nervous. For whatever reason, he got in the passenger seat of his own vehicle. They put it in drive. They went to pull out. They heard a, a shattering of glass. And he got stabbed in the back. John said he he felt this this. He didn't even really know he was stabbed. He said he he heard the window and he felt something on his shoulder. He told the driver <laughs> go 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 go. And then he he felt something warm running down his back. And then he uh, he put his feet on the dash to push his back into the seat to stop the bleeding as much as possible until they rushed him to the gas station where. The driver proceeded to run inside. I'm not saying his name because he's a fucking asshole and he doesn't deserve a name. Uh, because yeah, he left us all out to dry a, a little while later. But uh, so none of us really talked to him anymore. Kid ran to the gas station, called 911. Side note: I was airlifted about a mm, two months before this particular incident. So when the Everyone showed. They asked John, do you want to be airlifted or do you want to be ambulance? You're going to go to regional, Lakeland Regional. Even though he had just been stabbed, <laughs> he had enough sense to say, a helicopter ride is expensive, man. I don't want to charge me with that. Just just go ahead and take me in the ambulance. So, uh, yeah, talk about keeping, keeping your bearings no matter what's going around you. I will say that, that is, uh, that's something he's always been capable of doing. He's a goofball. And, uh, yeah, that particular incident, it did. It changed the way I went anywhere. It changed the way, you know, I always made fun of John for carrying a gun, you know. I always made fun of him for for trying to act like like any situation like that was going to occur. And it was a eye-opening slap in the face. It was a realization of, yeah, when there's people you don't know in the equation and you're not sure what they're going to do, it had nothing to do with wanting to be be anything to prove anybody anything anymore i had lost all sense or or willingness to ever want to be engaged in another physical confrontation because uh and even the next few that did arise in my life it was a completely different experience you know it was it was just hyper vigilant nerves just like fighting for life literally it wasn't like even about wanting to run into a headfirst anymore at all it was like complete analyzation and defense mode to like cause the most damage with the least amount of movements and yeah all right, there you go so take that for what it's worth man i believe everyone has the instance in their life that changes the way that they behave You know, those little instances like that that can happen to teenagers or, you know, kids in their young 20s that are hanging out. That was in the middle of the wilderness, having a fire. That wasn't at a a bar. That wasn't at a club. That wasn't at a place where people who are intentionally trying to cause some sort of of problem or situation that could occur. There was no even, like, chance for that. And it it 100% happened. So I guess there's always a chance that you never know what you're going to run into. So there you go. Quick little small town story. Figured I'd throw in here. And a little life update, man. Living in Missouri. I got a job offer to go back into the field of installation. It is a 100% travel job. So I'm treating that as a... uh, You know, it's kind of like being deployed... I, I attempted to go to the Army about a year ago, went to MIPS, did the whole whole deal, everything but sign a contract. Couldn't do it, man. The the leadership was weird. But if there was ever something that mimicked that in my personal life, it would be 12-hour days, seven days a week, doing it, sprinkler installation on, I believe it's new construction, retrofit, I'm not sure, and every few months, It's going to be a different job site. I'm not, I don't even know. They're paying me a ridiculous amount of money that I can't refuse to do this. I still believe I'm going to attain that sprinkler license here in the state or the ability to act on that of my own per county, whatever the rules are here. And since I'm attempting that anyway, you know, why not immerse myself back into the field? And in my part, in my opinion, the best part of it, I always excelled in. It's uh packing up in a couple days to head out. And yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring all this this microphone and junk with me. Hopefully I, I get a couple of these recordings on the way and just to keep, you know, I wanna live the example just so you guys know. Like I'm not just talking all this shit. Like we've made a tremendous amount of life-changing decisions the last year, and now I'm about to go on the road for a few months and uh knock it all out again. Got an ultra marathon in February have a very exciting course in March, and I can't even... I literally cannot talk about it yet, but um, that's going to be the shit. So, go out, win the day, no excuses, get after it. All those things that you know you should have been doing all the time. It doesn't mean exhaust yourself to where you can't move. It means if there's one... Thing, man, one thing when you walk away from this that you can look around, whether it's it, not everything's doing something for yourself. Say hi to the fucking homeless people. I fucking hate homeless people. Anyway, yeah, it's put on my heart to treat human beings like human beings. Look someone in the eye, have a conversation with them. Those little things. Don't use the self checkout, look someone in the eye. Someone who's having a bad day, compliment them on how good of a job they're doing, even though they look like a sour puss on their face because they've been bagging groceries for 15 years. Man, thank you. Uh, I'm so glad you're the one cashing me out because I know with all, I don't know, make it up. Make somebody feel good. That's, a, that's hard for me to do. But it is an action that will tremendously change the differences in your day-to-day. Go out. Do the right thing. Kick a little ass. See you next time.